Hello, and welcome to the Space Weather Facts and Forecast podcast. I'm Isaac Brigham, amateur space weather enthusiast, and I'll be giving you the current space weather conditions, a forecast for the upcoming week, and telling you all about a fascinating space weather phenomenon. Stay tuned. Wow, space weather has really been hectic lately. The sun has been firing off C and M-class flares and launching coronal mass ejections, many of which have arrived at Earth. There was one storm in particular a few weeks ago from a full halo CME, which caused severe G4 KP8 conditions. Aurora was reportedly seeing even into Northern California, a real treat for skywatchers. More recently, There was a promising full halo CME that was supposed to impact a couple days ago, launched from a long-duration M4 flare. However, this storm was really a fizzle. While there was an impact signature, it was nowhere near as strong as expected, and, combined with a predominantly north BZ, led to almost nothing. Currently, there are eight numbered active regions on the Earth-facing disk, although four of them are quite close to the west limb. Well, we have had so much activity lately, it seems to have calmed down for the moment. The only active region with complexity is region 3296, which gave us many M-flares, much of them Earth-facing, and is still keeping the background flux in the sea range. But the region is now extremely close to the limb, and will soon disappear. The other regions do not seem to pose much of a flare threat although isolated C or even low M flares would not be impossible. There are no more CMEs on their way to us at the moment, except for one potential glancing blow that I'll talk about in a minute. So we'll have to watch and wait for any launches, from solar flares or possibly from filaments. There are a couple of filaments that could possibly erupt and launch a CME towards us that should be monitored. No coronal holes of note are on the Earth-facing disk at the moment, only a long northerly one that has already rotated past us. We should not expect any high-speed stream impacts, for probably the next week at least. Moving to the geomagnetic conditions, we are at a KP1. The solar wind data is weak. The only slightly elevated value is the solar wind speed at 438 kilometers per second. All this is making for an extremely weak hemispheric power, 14 gigawatts in the north and 15 in the south. As to the geomagnetic forecast, I don't see any activity coming up in the next few days at least. With no CMEs or high speed streams of note on their way, we'll have to watch and wait for more activity. The only foreseeable disturbance could be on around Tuesday, when we might receive a very glancing blow from a CME launch yesterday from a long-duration sea flare from region 3296. I wouldn't expect more than a KP-4 tops, though. But space weather is notoriously hard to predict, so maybe we'll get a show. It's unlikely, however. So, if you're an aurora chaser at high latitudes, possibly around Tuesday there could be minor activity. At lower latitudes, you'll unfortunately just have to monitor and wait for the next solar storm launch. Thanks for listening to the forecast. Now it's time to talk about this week's featured space weather phenomena. Today, I'll talk about another way that space weather can impact humans and technology, through solar radiation storms. Solar radiation storms are essentially when protons, 
originating from the sun, shower down in high numbers at Earth's poles. This extra radiation can cause effects on Earth and in near-Earth space, including high radiation doses and radio absorption, but I'll get into that more later. The main events that cause solar radiation storms are solar flares and CME launches, as well as sometimes CME arrivals. During a solar flare, or any large-scale magnetic eruption on the sun, for that matter, protons in the sun's atmosphere can be accelerated to extremely high speeds. These protons, traveling at an appreciable fraction of the speed of light, fly out from the sun. In anywhere from 10 minutes to a few hours, they can reach Earth. Once at Earth, the particles penetrate our magnetic field. Then, they encounter magnetic field lines which guide them towards the poles. This is the exact same thing as happens with the aurora, where in that case electrons are guided towards the poles by our magnetic field lines. Once the energetic protons reach the atmosphere, they can strip electrons away from atoms, creating a layer of free electrons in the lower ionosphere. Much like during a solar radio blackout, this layer absorbs high-frequency radio signals, creating a blackout of its own. However, in this case, the blackout really only occurs north of the Arctic or south of the Antarctic circle. So if you're trying to use a shortwave radio in the Arctic during a solar radiation storm, it might not work, at least well. Another effect of solar radiation storms is circuit failure on satellites. If the storm is strong enough, electrical components can be disrupted. In a weak storm, the effects will be smaller. Satellite positioning could be minorly affected, but in a strong storm, whole circuits can blow and satellites can be lost. A third effect of these storms is that people can receive a higher-than-normal radiation dose. For astronauts, such as those on the ISS, this can be dangerous if they are outside on a spacewalk. However, they are shielded and safe when inside the station. For those on airplanes, flying inside the Arctic or Antarctic circles during a storm, they might receive about as much radiation as during a brief chest x-ray. While this is perfectly safe once in a while, it's not ideal for those exposed to it regularly, such as pilots, flight attendants, and other frequent flyers. Those of us on the ground are almost completely protected from radiation storms by Earth's magnetic field and atmosphere and so the effects at ground level are negligible. Solar radiation storms are categorized into five categories based on the flux, or rate of flow, of protons in proton flux units, PFU. For the purposes of determining the solar storm category, only protons with energies greater than or equal to 10 mega electron volts, MeV, are counted, although other energies are measured for different purposes. The five categories range from S1 to S5, with S1 as weakest. When the proton flux surpasses 10 PFU, it is considered an S1 storm. When it surpasses 10 squared, or 100 PFU, it is an S2 storm, and so on up to 10 to the 5th PFU being an S5 storm. During an S1 storm, the only real noticeable impact is a small degradation of high-frequency radio in the polar regions. At S3, high-frequency signals are degraded enough to cause position errors, 
Satellites can experience temporary trouble with imaging systems and solar panel currents, and astronauts on spacewalks are under a significant radiation threat. At S5, there is a complete loss of high frequency in polar regions, making navigation operations extremely difficult. Satellite control can be lost, jeopardizing the satellite itself, and astronauts on spacewalks experience an unavoidable high radiation risk. While such strong storms are rare, there is on average less than one S5 event per solar cycle, the impacts are significant, making it critical to monitor space weather and to develop better forecasting techniques so that advanced warning can be given to those who need it. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and share it. This podcast will be available on the second Saturday of every month on major podcast platforms. See you next time.